I ask you to take your Bibles. We return to the book of uh, Exodus. I ask you to take your Bibles. Turn to Exodus chapter 13. When you get to Exodus chapter 13, you can go to verse 17. If you're using that pew Bible that's there in front of you, you can use, open it to page 75. Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. I will meet you there in just a moment. But before we go there, the following locations, now I'm getting ready to give you locations, um, have one thing in common, or at least one thing in common. Columbus, Georgia. Columbia, South Carolina. Waynesville, Missouri. Lawton, Oklahoma. San Diego, California. Paris Island, South Carolina. Great Lakes, Illinois, San Antonio, Texas, and Cape May, New Jersey. Now, many of you figured that out, or at least you recognize what one of them means. Each of these cities that I just mentioned are locations for our military branches' basic training. How many people sitting in the room today have encountered one of these locations because you have gone through basic training. Just raise your hand. Anybody? Thank you so much for your service. Basic training, often called boot camp, prepares recruits for our military branches for all the elements of service, physical, mental, and emotional. It gives service members the basic tools necessary to perform the roles that will be assigned to them during the duration of their tour. Each branch of the service has its own training program, tailoring the curriculum to the specialized nature of its role in the military. No matter which branch of the service is chosen, basic training is an intense experience. The purpose of this training, as I read, isn't is not to break the recruit. In fact, the combination of physical training, field experience, and classroom time make individuals strong and capable. It's a tough process, but a rewarding one that many service members find value for life. But don't take my word for it. Let's turn to the screen and hear from David Compton, Chief Master Sergeant, U.S. Air Force, retired. When I think of boot camp, I remember all the push-ups, the setups, the running in place with the arms extended for a very long time. Amazing how those arms can get heavy after a while. But I also remember the long runs that we took in order to build our endurance up so that we could pass the final PT test. I also think about the profession of arms. No other profession demands more of its members. Boot camp prepares our warfighters for the jobs they'll perform while they're in basic training, through their tech schools, and on into their future careers in the United States military. These men and women will be trained mentally and physically to pay the ultimate sacrifice for the lives of their fellow soldiers, sailors, Marines, and airmen. They are trained to make split-second decisions because of the training that all began in boot camp. Some recruits don't understand in the beginning why we have them learn how to fold their clothes a certain way, why they have to keep their boots shined, and why they, why they have to learn how to march. In a combat environment, you have to know 
that the people around you are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that you are able to complete your mission. Boot camp teaches respect, honor, courage, commitment, values, accountability, and responsibility for yourself and others. It isn't just a job. It's a commitment. Commitment to family, friends, community, and to your country. The Air Force teaches and instills three important values. Integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all that we do. These values are important to whatever job or profession you choose in this life. However, these values are critical for anyone who chooses to serve in the profession of arms for these United States of America. Thanks, Dave. As, uh, just to make sure everybody knows, uh, Dave and Kathy are precious members of our church. Dave's sitting right back here. Dave, thank you for taking time to do that. Um, now, church, let's stand together and read from Exodus chapter 13. With that as our backdrop for this morning, we're going to read verses 17 to 22. Exodus chapter 13, picking up in verse 17. It says, Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines also, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to walk back through this together and hit a couple of other places as we continue our journey with the children of Israel toward the promised land. You see here in verse 17, it says that Israel is free to leave Egypt. Now, we've talked about this in a couple of weeks leading up to this, and finally, we have gotten to the point where Pharaoh and Egypt have said, go. You know, this came after hard fault, 10 plagues, and Moses and Aaron continuing to come before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's hardening of the heart, and you can go back and go through each of those in prior sermons leading up to today. Now, if we were to look in Exodus 12, 37, it tells us that about 600 men on foot left Egypt. That tells us that there would be, if you counted up all of Israel, we won't know the exact number, but there's approximately 2.5 million people, counting the 600,000 men that were numbered that were 20 and above, fighting men, women, children, and then older citizens. Now, it's interesting. I want you to make a note if you're a note taker, and if not, maybe you want to begin to be one, but write down Psalm 105. If you go and read Psalm 105, and you should, it tells all about this exodus activity that's been going on. But I just want to point out one phrase I saw in Psalm 105, verse 37. It said this, He also brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none 
feeble among his tribes. Now, not only did God promise them that you when you were going to leave, and when you leave, you will leave with great riches. And remember, they had asked and inquired, and the Egyptians had given them a great amount of riches. So Israel walked out with a lot. But it says here that none, 2.5 million people, now that's just an estimate, but Scripture says that there were none feeble among his tribes. Everybody was strong. Everybody was ready to go. God had been building to them toward this moment, toward this day, and they were all strong and ready to go. The people left healthy. I just think that's such a cool reminder because, you know, it's later here we find out that their sandals don't wear out and all these other things. God's just taking care of them, and it began by having them healthy. Now, before we get into the meat of where we're going today, I also want to make a note. Look in verse 19. It says that while they were leaving, in chapter 13, verse 19, it says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Now, if you recall, early on in our study through the book of Exodus, I pointed out by going back to Genesis chapter 50, verse 25, and it said, then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Well, the time had finally come for Israel to keep this commitment. This commitment was made slightly under 400 years ago where Joseph said, there's going to be a time when God will lead you out. And when God leads you out, take my bones with you. Now, that's just a reminder, but just think, everything we're getting ready to go through, everything we're going to study and walk through in Scripture, everything the children of Israel went through, Moses was in charge of carrying Joseph's bones at the same time. Now, that was it's going to be a tough commitment for him to fulfill. And later on, when we get into the book of Joshua or in the book of Joshua, they tell us that Joseph's bones were buried there with his family, as was the commitment made. Do you know sometimes commitments that we make are a challenge? Do you think that it was easy at times when Moses is saying, okay, oh, I got to carry these bones, this casket, I got to take it with me everywhere he went? You know, sometimes we make commitments, boot camp. It's hard. Keeping our commitments is sometimes a great challenge. And Exodus chapter 12, verse 37 tells us that their first journey, these 2.5 million people, their first journey was from a place called Ramesses to Succoth. Now, while maps and locations are not exact, it's really hard to find precision and know which one you're talking about. I have chosen a map that I'm going to use. Thank you, Terry and Joanne, for providing a map to me. I love this map. I've spent a lot of time, but I've chosen a map that I'm going to use, and it says that this journey, this first leg of their journey, and there were 42 legs of their journey, was about 35 miles. And Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, tells us that the years in Egypt as they left were 430 years. You remember? Well, I want us to take time to remember God had already told Abraham this many years ago. In Genesis chapter 15, hundreds of years before, he said to Abraham these words, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them for 400 years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Remember, we've talked a number of times, and we're probably not done yet, talking about the providence of God how it's not that God just knows, God sees to it. 
He brings it to pass. And these things that we're reading right now are happening just as God had promised. Let's go back to verse 17 where we pick up today. It says that God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines. Now, this way of the Philistines was not some kind of thought process or mentality of the Philistines. This was physically, when you look on a map, this was a roadway, a passageway that bordered Egypt and went all the way up, staying next to the water, leading into the promised land and before. This is what the Philistines, a world power at this time, had created to transverse the area. This way would have been the simplest and quickest route to the promised land. It's been estimated that this passage could have been as little as 200 miles in order to enter the southernmost part of the promised land. When you go and look, you go, Egypt is right here and the promised land is right here. And it's about 200 miles to enter into the outskirts of the promised land. But scripture teaches us right here in verse 17 that God did not lead them on the way of the Philistines. Verse 17 also says, although it was near. God did not lead them through or on the near way, the quick way. Now, the second note we want to make is that God did lead them. God did lead them. First, he led them from Ramesses to Succoth. God always seeks to lead his people then and now. Do you know where you know that God knows where he wants you to go next? He does. He knows where he wants you to go. He's got his plans and his purposes, and he knows where he wants you to go next. Isaiah 58, 11 says, the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. God has promised to lead and guide and direct. John chapter 16, verse 13, scripture says, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you in all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Scripture goes on in verse 18. It says that while God did not lead them on the way of the Philistines, did not lead them on the near path, verse 18 says that he led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. So we want to make sure that that we understand that Israel is not just trying to figure out where to go. God is leading them in order to do this. Now, note number three is that God had a purpose for leading them that we just saw in this scripture. Look at verse 17. Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Now, I've mentioned the word Philistines a few times. The Philistines were were a world power at this time. They were hardened fighters, a people that would not be conquered until the reign of King David many, many years in the future. You see, I'll go ahead and Goliath was a Philistine. We know these things, and the Philistines were the power at that time. And God knows that these 600,000 men or these two and a half million people that have spent the last 400 years in servitude, he knows they are not ready. He knows them. He knows what he needs them to become before they will be ready to enter into the promised land. You see, God has some and we're going to study this over the next number of weeks together, some basic training that he needs the children of Israel to complete. He needs them to complete this training before they are ready to enter the promised land. 
before they are ready to fight, before they can be victorious, before they can be faithful, be moral, be obedient, be dependent upon him, before they will follow his leadership. You see, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 says this, and now, Israel, what doth the Lord require of thee but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Now, let me just summarize that again because it means a lot to me and I want it to mean a lot to you. God says, what I expect for you is to fear the Lord walk in his ways, love him, serve him, and keep his commandments. But did you notice at the end of those verses in Deuteronomy, and if you're a note taker, I'll tell you that is Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. The Lord says, I want all of these things for you because they are good. Just like basic training is not meant to break a recruit, but to prepare a recruit, God says, I want these things for you because they are good for you. You see, God is leading them the longer way on purpose to train them for their own good. This same challenge, this trusting in the ways of God, this learning and this training that God wants to do, you know, that's required of all of us. Have you noticed that sometimes during the hardest trials of our lives that we tend to seek God the most? It's during those moments that we learn to be in his word, that we learn to lean upon him, to trust him, to seek him. We grow closer to him. You know, it's, it's, it's actually a little bit frustrating at times because I don't want to go through the challenges that I go through. I don't think you do either. That's why we're seeking the Lord and trying to move through them and to grow through them. But just think about the wisdom of God for just a second. Think about somebody you've known or think about yourself. When things were hard, they wanted God. They came after God. They asked you about God. They came to church. They did all these things. But then when things settled out in their lives, when things got a little bit better, you know what happened? They disappeared, didn't they? God knows how to train us. God knows how to prepare us for what he wants us to do. God knows what he wants us to become. You see, without basic training, many of us could become like some of the followers of Jesus did. In John chapter 6, verse 66, that verse says, and after his teaching of the requirements of knowing God, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Can you imagine that? We have people that are walking with Jesus, listening to hear Jesus. And when Jesus lays out the strict requirements, the harsh realities, the new way of thinking that his followers are going to have to have, that scripture says that many of them said, I don't want any part of that. I can't do that. I want out. God wants to lead you and me into a fully trusting and committed personal relationship with him. You see, it's not enough ever to say, I want to join the military. When you join the military, there are commitments that you're making. And it is not enough for you to say, I want to accept Jesus as my Savior and then do nothing else with it. God wants to mature you and grow you in faith. So we've talked about how God did not lead them the short way, how God is leading them the way that he wants to, and how God has a purpose. But how did he lead them? Look at these verses. Verse 21 says, 
And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go day and night. And one of the most beautiful things you see right here, the birthing of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. You see, God presented himself before his people every moment of every day, of every moment of every night. When they looked, regardless of the time of day, they could see God's presence. They could clearly see his leadership. They knew when to move. They knew where to go. They knew just to follow God. Don't you wish it were that easy today? Don't you wish that we could have this pillar of cloud or this pillar of fire in our lives and when it moved, we moved? Don't you think that would be easier? That's not easier. You know what God, You know what we've been given? When we came to know Jesus as our Savior, we've been given the Holy Spirit. It resides in us. We don't have to look out for anything because inside of us, God is seeking to lead and guide and direct us. Amen? God always wants to lead and guide us. Verse 20 says that they departed Succoth and camped in Etham. That's about 20 miles away. So they've gone from Ramses to Succoth, Succoth to Etham, about 20 miles. And verse 22 said, he did not take his leadership away from them at any time. You see, multiple times in Scripture, we're reminded that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Aren't you glad? So if you've got your Scripture open, you should be right there at the beginning of Exodus chapter 14. I want to read Exodus chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. Verse 2, they turn. A turn means a change of direction. They turn and they camp before. And if I'm mispronouncing a place, I'm sorry. You know, I look at it sometimes, and sometimes I just have to phonetically spell it out. And, uh, but God tells them to go to a place that is called Pi-Har-Hiroth. Now, we're just going to use that as the place that God is sending them to go. Now, notice the word turn. I just want to stop and give my wife credit. Angela is the navigator in our relationship. She has a pretty keen sense of direction. She can find good places to shop from any city we've stopped in, in time. But we went to a wedding last night, and we were out in the middle of the woods, it seemed like, but she always has a pretty good sense of direction when we get back. And I said, hey, do you want to try to get back without using directions? Now, part of this, because I knew I was going to be preaching this today, but she had a pre pretty keen sense of direction. So keen that if she were one of the children of Israel, she would recognize something just changed. That God led them from Ramses to Succoth, and he led them from Succoth to Etham, and then he says, now turn and go toward Pi-Harhiroth. And she would go, hold it. That's the wrong direction. I bet she would know that. So I want to set this. I really want to make this. This is an important point, church. And so I have created a map, 
And I want to encourage you to go and find maps. I spoke with somebody earlier this week as I was walking through this with them, and they said, you know, I have never taken Scripture and a map and walked them through to be able to see what you just shown me you can see in Scripture. So I want you to go find maps and look at these things and, and, and see what's going on. But for today, let's just look at this map on the screen. All right, you see in the top corner, top left corner, Ramses. And then you see the yellow line from Succoth. We said that was 35 miles. Now you see they're sort of going in a southeasterly direction. You can see that, right? And notice the purple line going away, the way of the Philistines. You see that up at the very top? Had God taken them about halfway from Ramses to Succoth and made them take a left onto the way of the Philistines, they were less than 200 miles from the promised land. But he didn't. He took them to Succoth. And in Succoth, he told them to come to Edom. And you see where they went to Edom, about 20 miles more on the blue line. And then that's where we read in Exodus chapter 14. We read, and he says, now turn and go toward Pi-Harhiroth. And you see it down at the bottom next to the sea. Between Migdal and the sea, Scripture teaches us. You know, it's possible that when they left Ramses and they passed the way of the Philistines, that they go, that's okay, God knows what he's doing. And then they get to Succoth and they go and they pass the way of Shur and they're going, okay, we've missed that way. Because see, the way of Shur eventually ties back into the way of the Philistines. A little bit longer route, but you can get to the promised land that way. But when God says turn and go to Pi-Harhiroth and then they pass the way of Seir, that's like the last interstate highway that'll get you to the promised land in a reasonably short fashion. They're going due south. Do you know that they're now going further away from the promised land? That's what's happening right here. They are now, they've been moved all the way now to where they're between this place called Before Migdal and Pi-Harhiroth. They're right there by the sea. Now you can take that slide down. God clearly has a purpose for leading them in the direction that he is leading them. But the children of Israel currently don't know what that plan is. But do you notice what Scripture says they did? They did exactly what God told them to do. See, we see no Scripture yet that tells us that the children of Israel are questioning the guidance and the direction of God. The pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire have led them all the way to where they are. They are about 105 miles from where they left and just a number of days away from there, and God is leading them. They are following God wherever he leads them. How about you? You're going, Jeff, I'm not in Exodus. You're right. But God is bringing us to Exodus to bring us this. What about you? Are you trusting God's plans for your life. I've mentioned we've had a number of weddings. We've had a number of graduations happen. We've got new journeys beginning all over the place, perhaps even in your life. Are you trusting God's plans for your life? Let me ask you this question. Do you see God's presence and leadership in your life? You see, the children of Israel, they had the pillar of cloud and they had the pillar of fire and wherever God wanted them to move, he would just lead them there and they would follow. 
Do you see God moving and leading you in your life? Are you looking for him each day? Do you know I bet if I were part of the Israelites, I'd get up in the morning, before I even got my morning coffee, I'd open the tent and I'd look up and I'd go, yep, he's still here. What a reminder. Yep, he's still here. Oh, he's starting to move. You know, in order to follow God, we must be seeking him, looking for him all the time. Are you looking for him? If God were to move in your life, would you recognize it? And would you go when he said go, and would you stop when he said stop? Because I can tell you this, that the movement that God is doing in your life is meant to prepare you to be ready for all of the plans that he desires to bring into your life. Now, I read one more interesting trait about boot camp. I read this. It's listed under the the page I was on, the good to know information. This is a quote that was on here. By enlisting, you are contractually obligated to complete boot camp and serve. However, if you find you are incompatible with serving, you can receive an administrative discharge. Not so with God. God will never discharge you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be with you once you come to know Jesus as Savior. Psalm chapter 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Isaiah 41, 10 says, fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then one summary verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. You see, God is going to lead Israel through boot camp. And he is going to lead me and you through boot camp as well in order to prepare us for what he has in the future for us. Are you ready to go? You see, we're going to preach our way all the way through the book of Exodus. And we know some of the things that we're gonna bump into. But God's gonna teach us that that's not just a story about other people, that's a story about us. And one of the things I want to encourage you right now, before we walk into the rest of Exodus, are you ready? Are you ready for God to do what he needs to in your life, through your life, to prepare you for what he has in your life? Amen?